Pity old girls today. Don't get overexcited. The cloister bell? Oh no. Welcome to the Cloister Bell Podcast. I'm Liam. Hello, and I'm Rob. And this week we'll be talking about The Sirens of Time. Yeah, the first Doctor Who audio drama from Big Finish Productions, which Mm. came out in 1999, 20 years ago this year. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So before we get to that, um, how are you doing? What have you been up to, Liam? Not too bad, thanks. Um, Just the usual, now that we're sort of properly into the well, the second week of the new year or the third week or whatever. I'm losing track of time. But, you know, back into work properly. Um, oh, just a, a daft little thing. We've um, There's this new process that we're starting at work, which involves um, an Excel spreadsheet, and there's a lot of complicated um, algorithms working in the background. So we had some training on that um, earlier this week. And so we were going, they were going through the demonstration, and because we deal with uh, company accounts... It was a fictionalized uh, business account that whoever set it up had been going through. So it was just fictionalized company names, and one of them was Smeg Industries. I'm just like, oh, right, okay. <laughs> makes me think of Red Dwarf. All right, yeah. okay. Oh, I really want to pick up the Blu ray that's coming out this month. Oh, yes, that's right. I forgot that was. Yeah, that should be good. Thing is, it's... I've got all the DVDs, but it's completely remastered. Yeah, well, it's just, it's the same with me. So, like, when it, with the, the the classic Doctor Who Blu-ray range, it's like, well, I've got all the DVDs, but these are remastered and they're pretty darn good. Yeah, yeah. So, but anyway, it's just a, a daft thing. But anyway, so it was like Smeg Industries, and I was like, all oh, right, okay, makes me think of uh, Red Dwarf, right, okay. And then it was Lister Limited. Like, oh, this isn't a coincidence. And then, the, and then it was Cat. And I went, yeah, whoever whoever oh. come up with this was a was a nerd. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> Just a thing. Anyway, yeah, so sorry. Uh, so back into the flow of work and uh, finally got to go to the cinema for the first time this year, uh, which was quite nice. Um, went to see The Favourite, uh, which is the movie that seems to be getting quite a lot of attention. Olivia Coleman, who plays Queen Anne, uh, the main one of the main characters in it, because uh, she plays an absolutely... She plays the part really, really well. It's a great film. It's really, really good. It's, it's one of those that I recommend people to go and see it i mean it's bizarre it's a bit barking mad um but it is a good story about uh, two people uh, two women competing to be the favorite of queen anne uh, who was the last stuart king of britain uh, she ruled 1704 to 1715 something like that um and i mean if you're going to go to see the movie don't expect it to be entirely historically accurate. Um, I mean, for one thing, I think... I mean, one, it's a movie, so you're not, you're not watching a documentary. But um, I think they got the, the, the characters of, of the Queen, for example, they've, they've portrayed her as sort of like this overgrown child, where actually she was a very much respected, quite savvy, very political... Um, savvy monarch but anyway um it's sort of inspired by historical events that took place and it 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 is a good movie and the the performances are really good so i was i'm quite pleased that was the first movie of 2019 that i saw at the cinema 
how about you? How's how's everything with you? Yeah, well, I haven't been up too much. I've been working over Christmas anyway, so I haven't had too much time off. But I did go to the cinema on the same night you did, and I went to see Aquaman. Oh, okay, um, that was the last movie of 2018 or so. Right, okay. And I was quite surprised by it. I wasn't that excited because, you know, all the DC movies have been a bit meh, a bit disappointing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if it's because I'm comparing them to the other ones that it seems so good. I did think it was um, quite a good movie. I haven't really seen a lot of the modern... Or, the, or rather, the more recent DC movies. So, for example, I, I didn't see Suicide Squad because I saw the trailer and went, mm, it doesn't look like yeah. my cup of tea. So, but I am a bit, uh, I am a bit sort of bored with all the superhero movies because I think I don't mind superhero movies. You know, I quite like them, but I just think the the movie industry industry is saturated by them. But I, I went with a couple of friends, and one of them picked it. Uh, and I went in with sort of low expectations, and well, I think it'd be all right. But actually, I. Th- I quite enjoyed it. I thought it was, I mean, the storyline was quite, um, was quite simple, but nothing wrong with that. But, you know, it followed the regular beats, but it was a well-made, enjoyable movie. I thought it was quite good. And there was some, uh, there were some visuals in there, which I thought were quite beautiful and stunning. Yeah, I thought it was really good. Mm. Um, so I went to see Aquaman and then the following day I thought, I'll give Justice League another watch because that's um, Aquaman's first appearance in the DC movies. Um, and I hadn't seen it since it was on the cinema. I thought, oh, maybe I'll enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I didn't quite enjoy it when it came out. Um, and it just didn't fit quite right in relation to Aquaman. I think maybe creatively it was a bit different with regards to Aquaman. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'd like to see Aquaman again. Oh, right, okay. I was a big fan of Jason Momoa because he used to be in Stargate Atlantis. Ah, right, okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then he played Conan in a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, a good few years ago and that wasn't that great and I thought oh, that's, that's the beginning and the end of his movie career but I think he's gone on to be in Game of Thrones which I haven't seen yet but I get a lot of grief about that yeah it's exactly the same with me I, I haven't seen it and it was a um, some of my work colleagues ended up having a, a full blown conversation about it uh, the other day and it was just like I have no idea what you're talking yeah. about I'd love it if I give it a watch and I hated it. <laughs> it's one of those things I probably will get into and I just don't have the time to. Yeah, same here because uh, it's it's one of those things where, because I mean, one, I'm a very keen reader, but probably I've got a massive pile of books that I need to get through in general anyway. Um, I've So it seems very doubtful that I'd get around to reading the books. Um, and I know that the TV series is very is very well made, and a lot an awful lot of people like it. So it's one of those things which I would I would like to get around to watching. It's just um, whether I will. I've yet to see Breaking Bad. Still, I've never watched that. Yeah, same yeah. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's the only movie I've seen so far. But I will be going to see the other superhero movies. We've got Captain Marvel and Avengers: Infinity War. Ah, right. Okay. Okay. So, has there been any Series 11 news recently? A new Series news? No, no, not yet. It's, it's, um... Do you think that um, the dust's kind of settled yet? From all the fan reactions? I think so. I mean, with the recent um, Doctor Who magazine issue 534, um, which I received recently, there was quite a nice story in there, which a lot of fans have seemed to have picked up on, which was with um, the actor Sean Dooley, 
who played uh, Epso in the Ghost Monument. Mm. Um, so it was a, there was a nice little article in there where he was talking about his experience um, of filming on it, how he's how he's been a long time friend of Jodie Whittaker because they go they go way back. But he's a very keen photographer, so not only when not only when he was acting on. Um, on the sh- when he was acting on the show, he was keeping a very keen eye out for, for opportunities for taking photographs. And there's a very famous um, photo of, of Series 11, which was used for an awful lot of the, uh, publicity photos. Um, I'll put up on our Instagram feed so people know exactly which image I'm talking about, but it's the one where um, Jodie Whittaker is silhouetted with the TARDIS in the background. And it turns out that actually that was a photograph that Sean Dooley took. And it was just, it's, um, if you have the opportunity to get the, the new issue of Doctor Who magazine, read it. Because it, it's a nice little story. But it was basically um, a photo that was just taken off the cuff. It was taken on his mobile phone camera. And yet it's an absolutely, it's a brilliant image. And has been used on the uh, publicity Run. So I thought that 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 was quite that was quite a nice story, um, and I know that it's it'll be used on the series eleven soundtrack album oh, cool. cover. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, stick that up on Twitter, and I'll have a look. Mm-hmm. And if anyone is hasn't followed us on Twitter yet, it's at podcast bell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, but in terms of other other Doctor Who news, I think because um, in terms of televised Doctor Who there's there's um, we won't be getting anything until 2020 so the, the big news at the minute is basically what's being released so the 24th of January we have the, uh, the book Scratch Man coming out and then there's mm-hmm. a series of audio releases so we have Big Finish releasing series one of the Missy Adventures there's Torchwood, God, uh, God Among Us Part Two. Just, uh, just as a couple of things, there's quite a few uh, audio things coming out uh, this year. But more recently, uh, those are some of the more recent ones. And then we have BBC Audio releasing um, an audio recording of of the Sunmakers novelisation. And then later on, we have uh, well, actually, uh, just yesterday, Monday the fourteenth of January. Uh, the Complete Eleven series was released on Blu-ray and DVD for roughly fifty, fifty-five pounds, and yeah. the eighteenth of February, um, that'll be when Resolution, the New Year special, gets uh, gets its Blu-ray and DVD release for mm. twenty to twenty-five pounds. Yeah, uh, and then the twenty-fifth of February, which I'm really looking forward to, I've already pre-ordered it, but we have the Blu-ray release of season eighteen. And you've pre-ordered that, yeah? Yeah, yeah. In fact, um, because at the back of of the current uh, issue of Doctor Who magazine, they're they're doing um, this is what will be in the next issue, and they've got a very interesting co- sort of quote from Christopher uh, H. Bidmead, who was script editor of that season and also uh, was the writer of Tom Baker's final story, Logopolis. And all what he said, uh, so they've they've just got a little quote of, of an interview that'll that'll appear in next issue. And all what it is is, I thought my old girlfriend Helen Mirren would make a good doctor. So he went out with Helen Mirren at one point. Right. And I was like, oh, but blimey, how do you, you know? That's quite you know, it's quite good. Uh, but then I forgot because he, he, he there was a period many years ago 
when he was an actor. It's funny the kind of circles that celebrities go in, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. And yeah, there's a few bigger releases coming from Big Finish this year. They've got the Legacy of Time, mm-hmm. um, which is a anniversary box set of pretty much everyone in, crossing all the ranges. Um, and there is a fifth series for the Eighth Doctor and Lucy Miller, which is kind of cool because that fits in between two of the release series that came out between 2006 and 2007. Ah, right, okay. Yeah. So, moving on to the Sirens of Time, yeah? Yep. Wondering when it was that I first listened to it. It was a good few years ago. I do remember the last time I uh, physically listened to it. Do you remember those little USB sticks that were MP3 players? Oh, yes. Yeah, I yeah. I remember going around to one of them, listening to it. So, it must have been a good, a good while. And uh, I only kind of remembered the first episode. Ah, uh, the, uh, the one with um, Sylvester McCoy. Yeah. So you, you haven't got the physical CD, have you? No, no. Well, what it is is because when we were growing up, um, Doctor Who wasn't being made on, on television. Um, so if you wanted your fix of new Doctor Who adventures, you from from 1998 onwards, you had the option of, of the, the big Finnish audio adventures, which were starting to come out, beginning with this one. Or you had the option for... Um, the BBC books and I know that I mean my memory is is that you were you be, you were uh, you were aware of the Big Finish Audio Adventures a lot quicker than I was um, mm. and so got into them pretty quickly whereas I tended to go more towards the books um, yeah. and then it, it came to point because at that point we were I mean we were still very young and f- I think we, we had just started secondary school so about, yeah, sounds about right. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I think we we're, I think we were eleven when the Sounds of Time was originally released, and you know, being a child, obviously you don't have a disposable income or anything like that. And so my, I mean, I can't remember, but I mean, my memory of it was the big, the the big Finnish audio adventures were quite expensive. Mm. Um. So if I mean, so especially being kids, it was either you either went for the big Finnish audio adventures or the books. It, you know, you sort of made that choice. You wouldn't have done both, just because you know, just the amount of money. Yeah. So the the result of that is um, because as, as as time's gone on, because Big Finish is, I mean, it's 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 a colossal company now. It's it and it's it's pumping out audio ventures seemingly pretty. It seems to be like all the time, which is fantastic. But someone coming, I think, to Big Finish audio adventures now. Can be a little bit. It looks overwhelming. Yeah, it? It, it's it's a bit overwhelming. So for for a long long time, um, I didn't really bother with the, the audio adventures because it was like, well, where on earth do I begin? It seems a bit it seems a bit yeah. daunting. Having said that, though, I have I have listened to some. In fact, I've bought um, the light at the end, which was the big finish audio release for the Doctor Who's fiftieth anniversary, and I remember enjoying that, and I purchased the sixth doctor the last adventure um which again was really rather good but because it was it was easy to follow and it was a very interesting plot but because it's dealing with com- it, the way that that story structured it's dealing with um companions which are introduced in the audio adventures which i haven't heard before mm. so it's like all right okay there's um the 
they've created new companions for the Sixth Doctor outside the TV series. One that makes sense, but okay, there's 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 a gap in my knowledge there that needs to be filled. Um, so from my perspective, I mean, so I was coming to the Sirens of Time for the sake of this podcast, and this was the this was the first time I'd ever listened to it. Me myself, I only really got into the main range and the Eighth Doctor range just because um, I wanted to fill the the gap on my DVD shelf with the McGann stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think one of the problems especially in Doctor Who fandom is a lot of people are tend to be completists. So if you're going in, you'd love to be all in and have a complete range, wouldn't you? So it can be a bit off-putting. Yeah, yeah, that, that's true. Um, but then, of course, it's, 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 it's a choice that you, you, you're making there. I mean, no one's forcing you to buy them. But yeah, I mean, especially with the Eighth Doctor with Paul McGann, because Paul McGann's an absolutely... You know, he's is a he's a great actor, um, and an excellent choice to play the Doctor. But because he only appeared on television with the TV movie, which was a which was an attempt to relaunch the show, but which didn't uh, which didn't actually materialize. That's all we had. Um, so I think if I was to go down the route of purchasing many big Finnish audio adventures, I'd probably plan more for. Paul McGann, because at least with the other Doctors, uh, and that isn't to say that I'm not interested in listen to, listening to them, and in fact, we're going to for the, for the sake of the podcast. Um, but at least we've got television adventures of those. At least Paul McGann's been given a given an opportunity to play play the Doctor again in these audio adventures, and so the, of of anything, that's, those are the things that I'm looking forward to um listening perhaps more than the others. And um, I think the stories tend to be um, the type of story that you can g- go back to and revisit. Like some of the Paul McGann ones, like Take Dark Eyes, for example, that's, I don't know, like 16 hours long. And I've actually listened to it quite a few times. And that, and that's just that's just one adventure? Yeah. Oh, right, okay. Well, it's over, over four box sets. Oh, that, 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 makes sense. that seems to be the pattern that they do now. Mm. All right, okay. They bring out each each story comes out in four seasons. Mm-hmm. So before we get started talking about the story, should we have listened to the trailer for Sirens of Time? Yes, good idea. Oh! <laughs> You're right. I think I've broken something. What about you? Yes, I'm fine, thanks. Oh, yeah, I rather think I broke your fall. Oh, sorry. I'll survive. Oh, can you two help me up? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. No. Careful. Oh, we're going to make a fine team with you two having to help me. Walk. Fire torpedo. I'm not a delegate. I'm known as the Doctor. I'm a time lord from the planet Gallifrey, and my TARDIS was recently blown apart in a spatio-temporal explosion, which I imagine is now known to you as the Kurgon Wonder. Does that cover everything? Oh my god! Listen, Doctor! There's another one coming in! Get down! The Time Lords really do want me dead. Destroy him! Well, that makes me want to listen to it. (laughs) So, have you listened to it recently? Uh, Like this week? uh, Last week. Oh, that's cool. I listened. I think over the space of 
two or three weeks. Mm-hmm. I've just paced myself through the episodes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I did the same. I listened to it episodically. I think it's a good formula having the three separate stories. Yeah, I thought so. I mean, for one thing, I think um, I think it made total sense for the very first adventure for Big Finish to have a multi-doctor story because um, it gives you the opportunity to kind of show, showcase um, the actors that they could get at that point, which were the fifth, sixth and seventh doctors. Tom Baker wasn't interested uh, at that point in doing Big Finish, uh, as I understand it. And I, th- um, I think they were still negotiating or maybe hadn't even uh, approached Paul McGann. At that point, he he would come a bit later on, um, so they got the three actors that they that that they could at that point uh, showcase them, and I suppose also if you're launching the series, you're maybe not show, showing favoritism of going well. Let's have Peter Davison launch it or Colin Baker or whoever. Yeah, but uh, as you said, it was it was quite nicely structured. So you had part one, which was. Sylvester McCoy's Doctor, then you had Peter Davison for the second episode, Colin Baker for the third, and then all three Doctors unite for the final episode. Um, so that so so they were given their own opportunity to breathe a bit, and then have have that great moment where they where they're interacting in the final episode, and so you get that 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 quite nice payoff. So I I, I thought um, so from that point of view, I thought it was nice, uh, very nicely structured. Yeah, I thought it was a great formula. Um, my only criticism would be that it could have possibly been a bit too complex, the story. Not for me. I enjoyed it, but you know what I mean? A lot of it's a little bit non-linear mm-hmm. as you work things out. Um, but but not for me, though. It wasn't it wasn't too bad. No, no, but I can see, I can see where you're coming from there. I think um, maybe, maybe it would have been uh, a little bit of a... Maybe it would have been a better story if they took a bit of a linear approach but none that having said that though it, i think it was still a good story and the, that complexity and that non-linear nature of it uh does two things one it keeps you gripped of trying to fi- you know trying to piece things together as, as you listen to the ven- adventure and then when you're in the second third and fourth episode things you know falling into place and so there's that um sense of satisfaction yeah but also, it does the other thing as well, is it's sort of showcasing what the audio adventures can potentially do. It can, it can deal with complex narratives in this format. So it's it's sort of killing two birds with one stone in that sense. Yeah, and there's no recurring villains from the past in this story. Mm. And when when you look at when you think about it, this story has quite a few antagonists, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. As it, as you go as it goes along. Um, and then obviously there's a little bit of mystery in there yeah, near the end. So the the first episode with McCoy um, opens up on Gallifrey. Yeah. Um, and that was quite a good opening scene because it's quite easy to visualise, isn't it? Yes, I thought that. It was, it was very easy to... Uh, I think they actually made it very easy for the audience to... To really get into the audio adventure, especially for for Doctor Who fans, which who are more likely to um, to be interested in this sort of thing rather than just your general viewers, and yes, yeah, so, so being a fan and the way that they started it off with with the sound effects, you know, it's the alarm sound used in the Deadly Assassin, 
um, which kind of kickstarts, uh, kicks things off. Then you've got the Son of the Tardis. So you've got that image of what um, what Gallifrey looked like. Yeah, and it's a, it's a moment of crisis, like in the Three Doctors. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and obviously the story starts with this fleet around Gallifrey, mm-hmm. which is a bit like... Um, the end of the time war, isn't it? With all the Daleks around. Yes, it is. I mean, the, the funny thing is, even though I was listening to this in early 2019, so I'm aware of the time war and how it's been depicted in the TV series. It's a bit funny. It, that's only occurred to me now, simply because you happened to have mentioned it. The, the weird thing is that didn't occur to me when I was listening to it. All right. Well, I've actually found a few comparisons to The Day of the Doctor. Um, which I'll mention at the end. Mm-hmm. And then after that opening scene, um, the classic themes used, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it was... Um, yeah, that was that that was very evocative and, and quite... I think that was probably the best version of the theme tune that they could have used because it was... Mm. Uh, you know, that version of the theme tune's arguably the most atmospheric of, of all the different versions that we've had. So yeah, that was really nice. Um, so the Doctor hears the sirens... In his TARDIS, doesn't he? Yeah. And at this stage, we don't know what it means. And obviously then he he kind of takes control... Something takes over him. Mm-hmm. And he takes control of the TARDIS. And he arrives on this planet. Yeah. And as soon as he comes out, he can hear the voice of this girl... Is it Elenia? Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But before you can get to her, he meets this creature, Ruthley. <laughs> yes. Played by Maggie, Maggie Stables, Stables yeah, which yeah. I didn't realise until recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that was a that was an interesting performance. She, I mean, I love that character. It's so over the top. She does the sort of audio equivalent of chewing the scenery with that part. It's, <laughs> um, it's, it's. I mean, the the first time I hear that character, I didn't know what to make of it. I thought, oh no, this, you know, is this going to tip into pantomime but i think she she takes it i think she just i, th- I mean it's a, it's a great character and it's a great performance but i think she just takes it to the edge before it falls into absolute ridiculousness it just sort of and i think actually it, it provides some balance because arguably most of the episode or most of the story even is quite serious and there's this sense of atmosphere and and an ever-increasing threat and what what Maggie Stables does with her performance is um, provide, I think, probably some much needed humour. And what what are you supposed to visualise when you see her? I wonder. I don't know. I thought I visualised this old crone, some weird golem kind of thing. Yeah, so it's sort of like weird golem creature, but, but uh, or maybe some sort of old crone with um, with a hump and yeah. Baggy, uh, black, shabby clothes with a with a hood on it or something it was kind of how I visualised it. Yeah. Now she's got an interesting relationship um, with the character Sancroft, hasn't she? Yes. I think he's got a bit of maybe Stockholm syndrome. Do you think? Because at first I wasn't sure if he was just trying to annoy her, provoke her by by showing gratitude. But there's these little moments where I think that maybe they do. They've got, they have got fond of each other, perhaps. 
I can see where you're, uh, you're coming from, and I think that's an interesting interpretation of it. My sort of view on it was it wasn't quite Stockholm Syndrome because no. his character is really interesting, and you know, yeah. and I, I like the way he was introduced because you know initially you kind of sympathise with this character, and then later on it turns out that he's a war criminal, yeah, um, with a lot of blood on his hands. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, th- this is someone who has an awful an awful lot of regret, and he was in a, he was only in that situation. In order for him to survive, you know, he was basically on the run from um, from justice. So he's in this position of maybe you know it's not it's not the best. He's making the best out, he's making the best out of a bad situation for him. Mm-hmm. And I think with the relationship that they that they have, I think it's they both you know they both recognize the the irritation of the other. Um, yeah. But I think it was just also recognition, recognition of, and this may be paradoxical because they're aliens, but you know the, the basic humanity of um, of each other. I didn't think it quite tipped over into Stockholm syndrome. No, no. But that's the only kind of um, analogy I could think of mm. when I was trying to make sense of um, of their relationship. Mm-hmm. So Ruth Lee made a deal. Um, was it with the Knights of Felicia? Yes. Who sent the? They, did they send the bio assassins? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, and obviously that backfired on her because she got killed, didn't she? Yes, because obviously for, for uh, the the deal was simply a means to an end in order to find out where he was in order for them to kill him, but then they mm. didn't. But they were under strict instructions not to leave any witnesses, and in fact, because yeah, that's that's. A, right. that's um, that's effectively the cliffhanger to part one, isn't it? Where it looks like the Doctor is going to be executed. Because mm-hmm. uh, the Knights even say, we have no quarrel with you. That's right, yeah. And obviously these um, these bio-assassins that appear, they face off with the drudgers, don't they? Mm-hmm. Those drones. Yes. And I, vi- I, I visualise those as, um, you know, the drone that, the Imperial drone that landed on Hoth in Empire Strikes Back. Oh okay. Um, I think I pictured it for some reason more like, um, you know, I think it's the mind probe in A New Hope. Yes. Yeah, yes. For, okay. Got you. Yeah. 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 I, for some reason, I pictured it more like that. Right. Okay. So by the end of the story, these bio assassins, the fire on Sancroft, Elenia, and the Doctor, and that's the big cliffhanger. Yeah. So moving on to episode two. This is quite a shift in the narrative because you're in a completely new setting on this German U-boat. Yes. Um, and instantly you recognise um, Mark Gatiss, don't you? Mm-hmm. Did you notice? Because he was the um, the captain. Yes, yeah, yeah. The U-boat. Mm-hmm. And he comes across as quite a rational person, you know, quite devoted to his country. He's not the, the archetypal enemy soldier, really, is he? No, no, I thought I thought it was a nice balance. Clearly, he is patriotic or nationalistic, but not imperialistic. So you uh, know, th- this this is a man who is, as is perfectly you know rational to do, is f- fighting for his own nation state. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he he does a you know he does come across as as you say you know rational and and, and decent. So that he was he was a very nice character, mm. and provided some some really nice. Um, some really nice scenes with Peter Davison's Doctor. Yeah. 
One thing I noticed about Davison in this story, of all the doctors, he was the one that sounded older, I thought. Did you think? Or is that not something you noticed? It's not something I noticed. I mean, probably if I were to go back now, I'd, I'd, I'd probably pick up on it more. But yeah. at the time, um, I was just really bowled over by his performance. Because actually, even though I really enjoyed the first episode with Sylvester McCoy, um, I, I think... See, the thing is, I thought Sylvester McCoy gives a decent performance, but not a mm. great one. You know, I think, no. it, you know, it's 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 almost just passable. And I know that sounds... I mean, because the thing is, Sylvester McCoy is a very good actor. And I was just sort of thinking about his career. I remember many years ago, he, he appeared in, in, in a TV movie called Beyond Fear, where he played a man called Michael Sands, who's a really nasty piece of work, because this was a TV movie which was based on a real life story. Michael Sams is someone who's currently incarcerated for being a um, a rapist and murderer. And Sylvester yeah. McCoy played him. And I remember he played it really, really well. It was incredibly chilling. And yet, you know, and compare that to his performance in the, uh, the Hobbit movies. And of course, his performance as the Doctor. He's a really good actor. Um, but I think his performance here wasn't as wasn't as good as maybe it could have been. It wasn't awful, but as I say, it was a decent performance. But certainly when you compare it to Peter Davison and Colin Baker's performance, we'll get on to Colin Baker later. But yeah, I think Davison's performance was absolutely brilliant. And in terms of the story, I think what's interesting is um, the Fifth Doctor was always compassionate, you know, and a quick thinker and wasn't perhaps as physical as the other Doctors. But that's... And this really aids the drama. But I think that that last point, his physical weakness is really kind of brought into the fore here. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a moment in the second episode where he's being almost beaten to death. But of uh, I think, I think of all the episodes, my second may actually be my favourite, because I I think um, one I like it's how it's written. I really like the setting of it. Um, the, the drama that it contains, I think Peter Davison really hits the ground running with uh, with his performance of the Doctor. It, um, yeah, I, I like that one a lot. Yeah, and of course, the TARDIS is conveniently locked, so you can't get the Segan and Turlough. Mm-hmm. But as it would transpire, this was essential for the story. Yes. Yeah. 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 So then the Doctor with this with this girl he meets in part two. Um, Helen, mm-hmm. um, the doctor pretends to be a German spy in order to persuade the captain to rise up so he can get his TARDIS. Yes. But it's interesting, he's willing to put everyone's lives at risk just to, just to get it. Yes, that's true. I mean, it's I mean, it's understandable. I mean, I think if, if you were in the doctor's shoes in that episode, I think you'd be probably doing the same. So then something else happens. Um, Van Sell from the Celestial Intervention Agency. I can't even say that. He takes control of one of the German officers mm-hmm. with this temporal thought projection yeah. and tries to kill the Doctor. Mm. And obviously, by um, discovering the climax of the story, you kind of understand why it was so important to stop the Doctor. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was one of those things because the Doctor's always had a very interesting relationship with his own people. And... Yeah. 
I mean, certainly with Peter Davison's Doctor, there's certainly because there's, you know, the, the times when, I mean, Ark of Infinity, for example, they're perfectly willing to execute him. And this is, this is another example of it. Yeah. And then shortly after in this episode, um, the girl, Helen, she takes control and she shoots the officer dead. Yeah. And as we'd learn later on, the girl in part three, I think it's Ellie. Mm-hmm. She shoots the android dead. Who's also also gets taken over, but it's um, she kind of cuts him short before he can talk to the doctor more. Because I'm guessing these girls who are the si- are the sirens of time. Yeah, they obviously don't want um, this course of action to stop, do they? No, no, no. So yeah, it's it's, it's actions like that which uh, which I think are handled quite well because at the time, um, they, they they had drama. Um, it seems, but also it's one of those. It's, it's sort of those nice payoffs where there's that nice little twist because it's seemingly, um, perhaps more in the other episodes than the third. But you know, there's that sense of maybe the, the Doctor's life is being saved in some way, but that's yeah. not strictly true. And that's quite a nice revelation in the fourth episode of you know, and it's not. It's not um, another thing as well is it's not actually spoon fed to us. Is no. it one of those things where you know you the you the listener? has to you know piece those things together yourself yeah initially it just seems like part of the drama yeah but then when you think back okay there was a reason for that Mm -hmm. so the end of that story is quite interesting when the captain knocks out helen the doctor jumps ship and then she vanishes doesn't she yeah and then they've got the second cliffhanger with the doctor latching onto his tardis Mm -hmm. he still can't get in but yeah i agree with you i think that might have been my favorite of the first three stories so moving on to part three it opens again with Vansell and he's detected a female at each nexus point and this kind of confirms that these girls at the doctor's meeting um, there's something special about them obviously yeah and then we're kind of joining the sixth doctor and then he kind of gets dragged from his TARDIS mm-hmm. um, and then he's aboard the star cruiser the edifice, mm-hmm. and he, he doesn't seem too phased that he's been pulled from his TARDIS. Did you notice that? Yeah, yeah, I did. Well, I think that's something that's quite. I mean, of all the doctors to have that reaction, I think it's I think it suits the sixth very well. And it's sort mm-hmm. of you know he's he's someone who is, um, very quick to deal with the bizarre things that are thrown at him. You know, sort of like right, well, this is the situation that I'm in. I just have to sort of go with the flow and try and get out of it. But yeah, yeah, I did notice that. Yeah. And then, of course, here and in part one, the sixth doctor and the seventh doctor, when they meet Ellie and Elenia, they both, they both think they've met her before. They know her from somewhere. Yeah. And, of course, they know her from when they met Helen. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And then we get the voice from the Tempron saying, help me. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was a good bit of the episode as well, because what the sixth doctor does... I mean, you later find out it, it was the wrong thing to do, but it was the way that it was written, the way that it was performed. Um, there was, you know, that was that there was that major question mark of whether the, this was the right thing for the Doctor to do or not. Uh, one thing that I did like about the third episode, and I think it was because of the setting of it, which was this huge, um, this massive uh, space cruiser. Uh, which is a very good setting, and I think that's another thing as well, is that 
the the audio production of this was really rather good all the sound effects in the background really helping to sell the setting of it and i remember when i was listening to that i had a real sense of scale um of where they were yeah definitely there's a lot of a lot of atmosphere there mm -hmm. yeah um there is this one little scene when obviously the the crew of this star cruiser have been killed mm -hmm. and ellie says something like oh it looks horrible and then the doctor replies what about my dress sense <laughs> so he's kind this is one instance where he's aware that he dresses badly yes yeah because yeah. quite often he's not aware of it is he <laughs> no no do you get do you get that impression yeah i think he's uh i mean certainly with the way that he is um it's it's seen in the tv series is that you know he's perfectly fine with uh with wearing it. I mean, the, the way that it's introduced in his first story, The Twin Dilemma, he thinks it's... Yeah, he recognises that it's bold, but he thinks it's quite... quite sartorial. And, he, you know, he mentions Bro Brummel. Um, so he thinks he's got a fantastic sense of style when actually, you know, it's, it's <coughs> bloody awful. It is uh, awful. <laughs> it is. It is. Um, but one of the... Because one thing that I am aware of with a Big Finish Audio is that a lot of people... Um, a lot of fans tend to say that the Sixth Doctor is their favourite with the Big Finish audio adventures. So that's, that's right. yeah, and th that's one thing that I'm interested in discovering. I've always liked Colin Baker um, as an actor and as a Doctor. I think you know he's really really good. But I think, I mean, at some point we will be going and having a look at his televised adventures. But I think um, he was so short with some of the production choices of that time and certainly with some of the stories um so i'm really interested in hearing other adventures uh, with him but here he hits the ground running i think what's interesting is that on the whole he does tend to be pretty much the doctor that we we know and love from the tv series but mm. i think the bombastic element of his doctor has, is massively downplayed so you still have that slight sense of arrogance uh, and his sense of strength and how he's commanding and there's a bit of an edge. Uh, but he's charming. He doesn't put up with any nonsense, but th th that sense of charm that the Sixth Doctor has with a bombast played down. Um, actually, you go, you know you know what? You're actually, re you're actually really likeable. Um, which, you go, you know, I, I, I want... And it makes me want to discover more six doctor adventures so i yeah. think so i think the way that the doctor's written and certainly with the way that colin baker performs him is is, is pitch perfect i really liked it yeah and interesting thing about his his outfit there is a number of big finished stories where he's wearing all blue yeah i've seen that and in fact um i think one it's it's a really good design and in fact what some people have done based on that is they've got the televised um they've got clips of the televised stories like attack of the cybermen and they've, uh, they've done a really really good job where they've changed his costume to blue everything else um in the story looks the same and you know what it looks so much better oh that's brilliant yeah it's um there's 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 quite a few clips on youtube they're, they're very easy to find it go because fans have just made these little these little things but they've done a sterling job and yeah just 
changing the look of his costume so it's this all blue thing it, and it, it does look a heck of a lot better it's, it's really should, nice they should do that for the blu-ray yeah that would be, that would be quite nice <laughs> uh, i mean there's a part i doubt that they would do it but if if they did uh, it would be pretty amazing it would be a nice touch yeah totally yeah there's a few little scenes where the sixth doctor's arrogance is written quite well all these little traits of each doctor mm-hmm. are kind of in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah, and what I really like is that when when they finally come together in the in the in the fourth episode, you know, they're still very distinctive, and there's that sense of helping one another. But there's some really nice uh, there's some really nice lines in there where um, Sylvester McCoy's height, <clears throat> you know, is sort of. Uh, gently mocked there's even a bit of a joke joke in there where um sylvester mccoy's doctor you know very subtly basically says that the sixth doctor's fat yeah he says that in the behind the scenes thing as well like oh i landed on the fat one or something <laughs> yes he does um so not only i think it was a, it was sort of like a nice cheeky joke in the in the audio but i think <laughs> clearly the actors get on very well yeah. Um, yeah, it was uh, that was quite funny. <laughs> I've got to remember, yeah. Um, so, more about um, episode three, the Baker episode. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a third character in this story that survives this um, this time wave that kills the crew, and he's the android pilot. And I thought it was interesting that this android character was more interesting than the one we got in the Suranga conundrum. Yeah, that's true, actually. Because yes. he, he had purpose for being an android, and it suited, it suited the plot. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that, but now that you mention it, yeah, that, that's actually a very... That was a good point, because I think when we were reviewing uh, the Sananga Conundrum, we liked, the, we liked the story, but we just thought that maybe... It, the, the, there were too many characters in it, and one of them was... Yeah, the sent the android in that story. Yeah, it didn't seem to. He was underutilized. I think we agreed on, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, and it didn't seem to fit a particular purpose. No. It felt like that was something that should have been built on, and yet didn't seem to go anywhere. Um, and yeah, as you as you mentioned with the Sirens of Time, yeah, we've got those characters in Android, and it is written much. Each, yeah. each character has a purpose in this story. Mm-hmm. No one's wasted, have they? No, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we get a little bit of the narrative shifts to um, Gallifrey in this story. Obviously, they're losing this battle with the Knights of Felicia. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, and they seem a bit underprepared for it, don't they? Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, it gets to the point of the Great Time War, and they were able to hold off the Daleks for a while. I think, yeah, I think that's quite interesting, because the way that the Time Lords tend to be portrayed is as, a, um, as an incredibly powerful race but also a bit complacent and a bit yeah. stuffy and in fact i think um in the ep- the david tennant episode school reunion where the doctor faces off with the villain in that story played by anthony head yeah um i've forgotten the name of the character now but i think that scene where they have and anthony head's character is really surprised at um that the doctor is a time lord and the way that he describes them is basically you know these this incredibly knowledgeable, powerful race, but very stuffy and pretty much atrophied. Mm. You know, um, sort of like they wouldn't be out of place in the Gormenghast trilogy, the way that you know they've 
for being portrayed as being you know quite stuffy and bureaucratic and and all the yeah. rest of it. So the very the very interesting. So yeah, when you you got yeah when the, when you get that sort of complacent and you got this powerful villain, how on earth are you going to deal with it? So moving on to episode four, which is the big crossover episode, and they don't waste any time throwing them together. No, no, that's yeah, yeah. The sixth Doctor at the end of episode three, um, kind of releases the Tempron. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Freeze it, and then all of a sudden he's dragged to Gallifrey, and he instantly meets the fifth and the seventh Doctors. Um, and I get the impression it's the first time they're all meeting each other. Yeah. Um, and then of course they do this telepathic conference contact. And then we'll get a bit of a recap of the first three episodes. Yeah, which I thought, which I thought was a nice, uh, nice yeah. touch. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the sixth and seventh doctors kind of bicker a little bit, don't they? Mm-hmm. But that kind of fades away, doesn't it? Quite soon, and they all seem to get on really well. Yeah, I think that was a, a nice touch. There was sort of a, they all seem to get on, but there's it's like what I was saying before. There's some gentle ribbing, and in fact, the because. Of all the of those three doctors, probably the the greatest contrast is between the fifth and the sixth, and when the fifth doctor has um has been you know is is hurt and is slowing them down as a result, you know the uh they have the sixth doctor say something on the lines of oh, I hope you're not going to be tiresome and suggests something as ridiculous as leaving you behind. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you know Davison's doctor is basically saying, "Well, the thought had crossed my mind." You know that that sense of the fifth doctor being noble, and the sixth doctor going, "You know, basically, don't be ridiculous. <laughs> you know, I'm going to save myself at any cost," which I thought was a. Uh, it was just uh, two simple lines, but it conveyed a lot between the difference of, the different personalities. But yeah, I love the the dynamics that are being created here. After revisiting this story, it'll be good to go to like um, the light at the end. Mm-hmm. and see if we've got the same kind of dynamics between them yes yeah yeah and in fact because I know that um, there's a couple of occasions where they they get the uh, the doctors to reunite so that's that's one example I know there's one that they did for the 40th anniversary called oh it begins with a Z it's a grace yes which I know mm. doesn't have a particularly great reputation but um, I'd be interested to see how how the doctors interrelate with that one yeah and there is a subscriber special that was came out a few years ago called the four doctors oh right okay which has them all reunited at the end mm. so one another little thing that bothered me was that the doctors didn't seem too concerned with the state of gallifrey no I, I, that's true i think they were obviously concerned about um when when they found out why why the time lords were being killed and what they were being used for, yeah. But yeah, there the, the did seem to be a sense of more of a focus of them trying to get out of the situation rather than rather than perhaps rectify it. Oh, there's the scene where the witness the the knight removing his armor. Yes, and of yeah. course, his, his flesh is all diseased, um, and then also the fifth doctor gets healed, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. But it turns out. That the the subjugation with the Time Lords involves extracting their life force. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's the big the big revelation about what's happened to the Time Lords. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which was quite a um, 
I think it was a it was a really nice um, well perhaps nice nice is not the word but it was a good <laughs> was a good plot uh, development and especially because as you say when the when the look of when the night is revealed again that's that's another that's another great example of of this story getting its um, its audio spot on because it, it it can with just a few simple words and the delivery of them um, it really conjures up you know something quite horrific. Um, the it also not in terms of the, not in terms of the image that I conjured up, but that sort of idea. It may it did make me think of um, the Peter Davison story, Modern Undead. Um, but yes, I thought that you know I thought that was that was um, that was handled quite well. Yeah, it emphasises the threat that the post invading. Yes, they didn't they didn't just get the foot in the door and they're sitting on the throne now. They've actually um, done something bad here. Yeah. So after that, um, the doctors are looking at this time chart, which shows the three different nexus points that have, that have been important to this story mm-hmm. in the timeline, and it shows how episode one was resolved. Yeah. And of course, it showed that the fifth doctor had changed history. Alexander Fleming was killed before discovering penicillin, yeah. which had big implications, obviously, for the timeline. Um, it's interesting to think, what would the world be like today if we didn't have antibiotics? Yeah, that's true. And in fact, um, just going completely off topic, but what... Um, the, I mean, they're the only 19 years behind, but the BBC have got this new series of... Um, trying to determine who is the the most iconic person of the 20th century and what they've done is they've broken it broken it down into into categories and for the scientists we have uh mary curie yeah uh and we have uh albert einstein alan turing and t to you you uh and what it, what the what the BBC are doing is sort of they present a program for for each of these categories, uh, presenting the four people in that category. So the scientists which I've just mentioned, and then the 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 viewers will then go online to vote for who they think should get the vote. So even though all these uh, those scientists are you know incredibly important respected people, I think for me the obvious ones are Alan Turing. And uh, to Yu Yu. So you've got Turing, who was famous for being the father of computing and the World War II codebreaker, which is obviously mm-hmm. incredibly important. But then, but then you've got to Yu Yu, and it's sort of well, he was a pharmaceutical chemist whose research helped save millions of lives um, through what he did. So it was just. I know I've gone completely off topic, but it just it just mm. made, it just made me think of going well. Imagine if either one of those were removed from history, the the impact of that would be would be immense. It yeah, it just it just explains how strong an impact events can have, mm-hmm. and it just has a domino effect through the generations, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, it's like that old saying: if it wasn't for the dark ages, we'd be colonizing space by now. That's the same kind of analogy to um, the penicillin thing in this story. Mm-hmm. How 
it's set back human development and then in the future they never defeated the um the knights of Lysia in the future yeah and in fact um again because i think one of my all-time favorite doctor who stories is one which i think is quite underrated which is the mask of mandragora which yeah. is uh, a tom baker story and what the the mandragora energy what that tries to do is prevent the renaissance from happening and the reason why is because it was it's the whole idea if you prevent the renaissance happening it sets back um humanity's development massively behind so that later on in centuries down the line uh hum- this is sort of the science fiction aspect of the story um that humans haven't been able to basically conquer space and affect where mandragora energy comes from which i think is which i think is a nice interesting story and it's a comment on the importance of the renaissance and yeah. ha- you know um i like that story a lot so near the climax of part four things are starting to make a bit more sense mm-hmm. um the doctors have all come to the conclusion that these three girls helen elena and ellie are all the same person and then the doctors can destroy the restraint controls and they free the temperon yeah and it's good to see um the six and seven doctors cooperating here it's a shame the fifth doctor didn't have someone to go off with um, yeah that's true yeah. i mean it- I do think it was handled quite well, but there was a sense, certainly with what the sixth and the seventh Doctor was doing, that this fifth Doctor was kind of shunted off in the background a bit. Yeah. But it it didn't. It wasn't a massive detriment to the story. But yeah, I think there was there was a bit towards the end where it would have been nice if the fifth Doctor was be was allowed to shine a bit more. So it gets to the point where we know that we know what we know that these girls are the sirens. Mm-hmm. And we know that it kind of feeds on these changes in time. And then it gets to the point where we don't know who to believe because we've got the sirens saying, okay, go back and fix these events. And then we've got the temperon saying, no, they're trying to trick you. Yeah. So it's they've kind of got a moment where they don't know who to believe. Mm-hmm. Um, did you have any doubts at that part of the story? It was interesting because it was one of those things where it's... Um... As a listener and hearing the doctors, there was a sense of um, you don't entirely know who to believe or where this could go. I think it tipped more towards what doctors ended up doing be- simply because of what was happening to Gallifrey. But mm. but there was always that sense of there was potential, you know, even what ha- even though it's bad what's happened, there's maybe potentially an even bigger threat around the corner. And yeah. the doctors really act on trust more than more than concrete evidence. Uh, yeah, so obviously they don't know who to believe, but then of course we'll find out that the Temperon is willing to sacrifice itself. Yes. In this eternal struggle with the sirens. Mm-hmm. And then the the sixth doctor goes on about um each time he regenerates the balance of these character traits alters. That's something we were talking about earlier and he acknowledges it at this point in the story. Yeah, actually, that that was quite nice because that's something that I've always thought about. That's that's always been my interpretation of it because with no no matter who has played the Doctor, there's always been something intrinsic to the character of the Doctor, which is which has always remained. But obviously, the 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 actor coming along 
puts their own interpretation of it. So each doctor has um, their own personality, but there's this thread that connects them. So it was, I thought it was, yeah. yeah I think it's good to acknowledge these differences because especially with Colin Baker, people from the off were seeing this character and were thinking, okay, this is fundamentally not what the doctor does. Mm-hmm. So I was mentioning the day of the doctor and little similarities. And obviously Gallifrey was invaded um again it was another multi-doctor story mm-hmm. yes sirens and that and then there's another little scene with the doctors at the end after the climax mm-hmm. i'll just play a little clip just a moment okay yes the universe can be an unpleasant place sometimes can't it doctor do i detect a note of criticism doctor are you saying that if you'd had the gun in your hand you wouldn't have done the same thing i don't know i suppose no one ever does know until they're faced with the decision and the power to make a difference you know talking to yourself is so there you have it the, um, the fifth doctor's questioning whether he would pull the trigger, which is a bit like um, pressing the button, wasn't it, with the war doctor? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true, actually. Yeah, you're right, that is a good comparison. It's a bit It's a bit like this story is a bit of a precursor to that, mm-hmm. in some ways. Yeah. Right, Stephen Moffat ripped off the sirens of time. It's, uh, it's official. <laughs> <laughs> so a quick conclusion. So I was going to say, which of the first three stories do we like the best? And I think we've both kind of decided on part two. Yes, I mean, they, they, they were all rather good, but obviously part four functions as a way, you know, putting all the pieces together and actually explaining the story and having a, a good conclusion with the other three episodes having their own individual settings. And yeah, I would say because of the setting and the way that it's utilised and with the characters and everything, the, the second episode is my favourite. And of course, this story was written and directed by Nicholas Briggs. But impressively, he's also done the sound design and the music composition as well. Yeah, and I think it um, it turns out really rather well. I think it's safe to say, I mean, as I say, I'm not familiar with, uh, with Big Finishers as you are, but I have heard a handful of stories, which are much later on in the run. Um, and so I'm, I'm aware that the quality does improve. But then again, there's nothing wrong with the quality in this story, is there? No, no, there isn't. That's what I was just about to say. But um, but having said that, though, that this one still holds up, I think um, I think it's safe to say at some point, as, as I listen to more of them, there'll be stories that could go, you know, these are clearly better, narratively speaking, than The Sirens of Time. But I think I'll always regard this as quite a quite a well-made interesting well-written adventure yeah Um, well performed as well obviously the actors mm -hmm. believe in what they're saying it doesn't come across as some hammy acted radio drama no i know does it come across as maybe just a just a you know i need a paycheck i'll just you know phone in a performance no i think uh, i mean as i said before i think uh, davison and baker in particular are excellent uh, with Sylvester McCoy maybe not as good as as the others, but it's still a good performance. I just think it's it's in comparison to the others who I, th- I think are strongest. That's just a preference. But yeah, that they come in and they give a great performance. And I think what's quite nice is even though they are very successful actors and had have done things prior to Doctor Who, and obviously many many things after it. Um, it's still a part that they're proud to have done and still like playing that part, which is quite nice. And they're still doing it 20 years on every month. Yeah. 
So, I mean, in that respect, I mean, for being fans of Doctor Who, I think we're we're really, really fortunate. Yeah. Um, I mean, because the. I mean, for example, I'm a I'm a big fan of Twin Peaks, um, yeah. which uh, which is a great TV series. I absolutely love it. But we've maybe got a handful of books, but we've just got the TV series, and then that's it. There's, and, and absolutely love them, and really really enjoy them, and appreciate them for what they are. But there's that sense of, wouldn't it be nice if there was a way of of tapping a bit more into the narrative in some form or another. I think in many ways Doctor Who's very unique because we've got the TV series, we've got the books, we've got the comics, and we've got these audio adventures. Um, So in that sense, even though we haven't got... Even though we like the show on television because that's its its main place, but even though we're not getting a new series until 2020, uh, and even though I'm, I'm really looking forward to it and I'm kind of a bit disappointed we're not having one this year, it's it's not as if we're completely starved of it in any way. There are loads and lo- you know we got we've got books coming out, we've got DVDs coming out, and we've got original adventures on audio, uh, which are incredibly well written and incredibly well performed. Yeah, it's interesting if you take a step back and look at the look at the whole franchise. Mm. It's kind of like Doctor Who is an audio series. Which has kind of has a television series occasionally. <laughs> Actually, I th- yeah, I think it's got to that point now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I think um, if you were to rank the story out of 10, what would you give it? I think I'm going to mark it down slightly just because of the complexity of the narrative. Okay, I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10, and I'm going to use that as a point of reference for any further audios that we're going to review. All right, that's uh, that's okay. Yeah, that's quite a good. Um, I give it just slightly lower than that. I give it six out of ten because it's it's not a bog standard average story. Um, you know, I think it's 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 a good story. It's um, yeah, I think it's a decent story. It's enjoyable. It's well made. It it's not um, it's not something that I think is absolutely fantastic. No. Um, so I think six out of ten is a good solid score for it. But it's I think. Um, it's been quite nice to to finally get around to listening to it, and I think it even after all these years, I think it still holds up, and I think is a, a respectable beginning for the Doctor Who Big Finish audio. Yep, there's no excuse not to check it out. It's only like two ninety nine on download, I think. Mm-hmm. And of course, there's other ways to check it out. Um, one of our followers on Twitter, Daniel Martinez, has made a point of saying that these. Big Finish Stories are also available on Spotify. Yes, yes, that's right. But they're also on Audible as well, I've noticed. Oh, right, okay. If you have a subscription there, obviously you'll save a lot of money if you, if there's kind of a box set that's 30, 40-odd pounds, you could probably get it as a seven ninety nine subscription. I'd also recommend um, following Big Finish on, on Twitter or maybe even subscribing to to the newsletter from their website because they do relatively frequently have some very good offers on. Yeah, it's always worth checking out their emails. Yes, yeah, yeah. Occasionally, occasionally there'll be a free story, like Sirens of Time was free for 48 hours just last week. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah, it was. And um, we're going to be going through the audio adventures. It was quite nice that um, a little while ago there was a, there was a 
forgotten what it was. I think it was, I managed, it was, I mean, it was a cracking good deal. So I managed to get the first 20, 20 odd audios for about £1 each or something. So that was quite good. That's absolutely ridiculous considering I must have paid um, the other £120 subscription fee a long time ago just for those first 12. Well, no, yeah, I can get that. But it's uh, you know it's it's because of it's because of that you know we still have big finish. I remember there was I've forgotten which DVD it was on, but there was uh, one of the special features that were having a look at um, they were having a look at Doctor Who audio adventures, and obviously the big part of that was was the big finish range. And there was a bit there was a bit on it when they were talking about um, pirated copies of it. And there's Colin Baker where he's saying, you know, he's been asked to autograph pirated CDs of the Big Finish <laughs> Audio Adventures. He's just going, oh, come on, really? And he says, the thing that I don't understand is that the fans who were asking me to sign this really, really loved the Audio Adventures. Yeah. And it's just sort of like, well, you really like them. Why don't you pay for them? Because you paying for them, one, it's, it's the right thing to do. You, But also what you're doing is you're ensuring that the company, I mean, it is a business, it's there to make money, can continue operating in order to make more of these things that you like. So we'll be back soon. The next big finish story we'll be looking at, is it Phantasmagoria? Uh, Phantasmagoria, yes it is, yeah, yeah. Which is the second of the monthly range. Mm -hmm. But we won't be revisiting that in the next episode necessarily. No, no, so, uh, so the next big finish audio adventure we'll be looking at is Phantasmagoria. But we're going to have a little bit of a, a gap before we do that. Um, because this was a multi-doctor story, we thought that would be the perfect excuse to go back to the televised stories featuring multi-doctors. So the next podcast will be looking at the three doctors. So before we finish, just a quick ask for the listeners. Um, if anyone wants to get in touch on Twitter at Podcast Bell and let us know what you thought of the sounds of time, would be interested to hear that. Uh, yes, that's right. Uh, we also have a Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash cloisterbell. And of course, we've got a little hub, the website, which is cloisterbell.co.uk and all the appropriate links are on there. Uh, yes. Um, and also Instagram as well, where you can find us at cloister underscore bell. And of course, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. All the links are available on the website. And you can also listen to us on SoundCloud as well. So until next week, goodbye for now. Bye, everyone. Bye.